Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be giving our thoughts on the Oscar ceremony from this past weekend. And after that, we have a review of Marvel's second Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay, so, in honor of the Oscars switching up their structure, their format for the show, we will do the same here and begin with the Oscars, because we just have to talk about that insane, very anticlimactic ending, where they had Best Actor come last, they moved it around because we all suspected that they were going to award Chadwick Boseman, And instead, Anthony Hopkins was awarded, who wasn't even at the ceremony. He was chilling in Wales. He was probably asleep. He was asleep. (laughs) So he didn't call in on Zoom. He was passed out, had to find out the next morning, and then send in a video of like, hey, by by the way, thanks, guys. So, And then Joaquin Phoenix was there doing it. He didn't even want to be there. They didn't even have, like someone said, Olivia Coleman was supposed to come up and give a few words mm-hmm. on Anthony Hopkins' behalf, but that didn't happen. They were just like, all right, y'all, sayonara, peace out. So what did you think about this ending that none of us expected? Well, even the producers don't know, because the only people who know who the winners are are the accountants who do the tallying of the votes, and they write up the cards, and then they seal them, and nobody gets to see them. So the producers don't even know. And they really thought that Chadwick was going to win. And so they put that at the end because they were trying to make that Oscars moment. Do you know who the producer was of, of this year's Academy Awards? Well, don't blame him. He was the director, not the producer, right? No, he was the producer, Steven Soderbergh. I don't think he made that choice, though, right? He was the producer. He produced it. Glenn Weiss directed it. Whoever, the, whoever that is. But Steven Soderbergh was the producer, which means he has the decision he makes he really does make the final say and he was trying to build up to that oscars moment so sad though yeah i don't know why he would gamble with that we even mentioned on the show last week mm-hmm. we brought up the possibility of anthony hopkins taking it since he just won at baftas it is apparently a really incredible performance the best of his yeah. career that he gave in the father so we mentioned it as a possibility, but we were also saying that ah, seems unlikely. But if we were doing the show, even if we were 99% confident in Chadwick Boseman winning, you still don't do that. You don't gamble like that. First of all, the best picture should always come last, right? Yeah. That's the culmination of every aspect of filmmaking that we just mm-hmm. spent the past three hours giving out awards for. So the final award should be the one that celebrates the film that did all of those and unified all those aspects together in the best way to produce the best picture. So there was their first mistake. Just don't mess with the format at all. But then to do so specifically because they wanted to, in a way, capitalize on, like like you said, this Oscars moment certainly would have been very emotional and impactful. Um, and so I don't think it was entirely cynical that they wanted to 
have that happen, but mm-hmm. it also seems really weird. Like they were talking about the gift bag that they have. They had an NFT of Chadwick Boseman's likeness in there, which as a side note, NFTs, you know what those are? Yeah, the it's like the digital art. Yes. It's unique digital sort of currency, cryptocurrency. Yes. Don't understand it at all. Mm-hmm. It's makes no sense. But anyway, so they did that and of course they were building to the finale to give the award out to him and bring his family on. Which oh, that had to be terrible for them too. Sitting through the whole ceremony. I'm sure they expected Chadwick Boseman to win as well. So that mm-hmm. had to be absolutely heart wrenching for them. Um, but it just it seems really strange that they would try to manufacture this great fantastic Oscars moment when they should have just let it let it play out as normal. It would have been as emotional and impactful if it had come second to last, right? If it was a second to last mm-hmm. award given out. So yeah, just a big fumble there by the Oscars people. So sad. Now, have you seen the Oscars make their money by selling ad space? And by doing that, they they have to have a huge viewership, right? And they usually do. In 2014, they had 43.7 million TVs tuned in to watch the Oscars. And that's been uh, declining a lot recently. Like in 2018, it was 26.5. And just last year, it was 23.6. How many people do you think tuned in this year? Well, I know how many people. And it's not good. (laughs) It is 9.8 million televisions, which is a drastic drop. Do you think that is because of COVID? And do you think it will bounce back next year? Or do you think the Oscars have to do something different? I don't know. Because I think there's many different contributing factors. One of which is more and more people are cutting cable. So there's more people that are just chilling with a particular streaming service. Mm -hmm. um, Or just none at all. So that I think is definitely a factor. I think COVID could have been it. There could have just been less publicity around this Oscars event. The movies, since most people didn't go out to the theaters to see them, and they were on random different streaming services, or sometimes like Minari isn't even, you had to go on premium video on demand for that. So it could have just been a lack of exposure to the films and a lack of any really big eye catching films like Black Panther was nominated for the Oscars a couple years ago for Best Picture. So that could get people to tune in since a bunch of people saw that. There were less recognizable titles this time, so that could have been a factor. So there's Mm -hmm. many different things at play that I think is causing this to happen. Because like you said, it's been a steady decline for a while now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm wondering why this one was such a drastic drop. I mean, more than 50%. So next year, I don't know if like this could just be the trend, the downward trend, but I don't know Uh if there's going to be a way that they can get some stable viewership and what changes they would need to make. Because we can talk about it in a second here, but I think that the overall tone of this show, of this Oscars, was better. Like I preferred it to the typical approach that they have in years past. I did like the the pre-show, that sort of low-key environment instead of these huge cameras, these people on the red carpet. It's just people like kind of hanging out in this sort of patio sort of area. And I did like the the vibe of the 
the interior, the way they decorated it and the way they spaced it out. Yeah, it's definitely less formal. Yeah, too. definitely. It was more like the Golden Globes than the Oscars. But I do think people like watching the pageantry of the Oscars. They like watching the big greatness of it, inviting like hundreds and hundreds of celebrities to one room, all dressing in unique outfits. And people love that and the pageantry of it all. And I think, do you think they should come back with a host? Do you think a host may, might bring back some uh, desire to watch the show next year? I think it probably would help because it's been a couple years now that they've been going without a host. Mm-hmm. And again, I personally, for me, it doesn't matter as much, but I guess mm-hmm. there could be other people out there that like the big name that's leading the whole ceremony. And they have the monologue at the front, which is definitely one of the big draws. If you get a good comedian that comes in and delivers that. So that's something to think about. And I'm sure they probably will this next year because they're going to be like, oh, they're scrambling to figure out why this is happening. So Mm -hmm. I think they probably will bring back a host for next year and see how that goes, see if it affects the viewership. But I, yeah, I'm just wondering how much of the viewership that'll end up bringing back. Um, And it could be, again, like you said, in COVID times, there's this understanding that there's not going to be this massive, um, like the red carpet and then Mm -hmm. the big pageantry of all these people getting together. So maybe that had an effect on it, but yeah, I, if I were the Oscar people and especially with the bad publicity of, like this ending, that terrible close to the show, uh, I would be sweating for sure. Yeah. Now we had a couple other important wins. Frances McDormand got her triple crown. She is the second actress to win three Best Actress awards. The other one is Catherine Hepburn, who actually has four. But Frances McDormand has hit the three, which is impressive. Let's see if she can get to four soon, with maybe with Lady Macbeth. Or playing Lady Macbeth and Macbeth with Denzel Washington. That'd be cool. Uh, Yu Jung Yoon won. She became the first Korean actor to win Best Supporting Actress. Chloe Zhao wins Best Director, and she's the second woman to do so after Catherine Bigelow. She's also the first woman of color to win the Best Director Award, which is, which is great. Uh, were you were there any disappointments for you at all? Any big disappointments besides maybe Chadwick Boseman? Well. Yeah, that was just overall disappointing for the way that they structured it, gambled it, Mm -hmm. and lost. But before I get to some of the surprises, Emerald Fennell won for Best Original Screenplay, so we are very happy about that. We're rooting for her. That opened up the show, so it was nice to see her get up there and deliver her speech. Um, And Frances McDormand, she won Best Actress, which was, again, certainly deserved, but it's also bittersweet because you and I both were rooting yeah. for Carrie Mulligan to get it. So that was, ah, that sucks. I mean, again, Frances McDormand is incredible, amazing actress, evidenced by the three Academy Awards she now has. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would have loved to see Carrie Mulligan win it. Um, as for some of the surprises in the other categories, we did have some. Mank, Eric Mercer-Schmidt, did in fact win cinematography over Nomadland. Mm-hmm. And Best Song didn't go to 
the one that we wanted in our heart Pusevic. or the one that we thought yeah that we thought the odds makers had picked speak out now. that was going to win yeah speak now with Leslie Odom Jr mm-hmm. it actually went to Judas and the Black Messiah for her mm-hmm. Dernst Emil the second and Tiara Thomas so first of all her is extremely young I think right and she already has I know she's got a Grammy mm-hmm. she's got now an Oscar so she's going to be a future EGOT winner for sure yeah Soon. so very impressive for her yeah now there's one thing I want to talk about the in memoriam section did you think that the music was a little weird the music I wasn't paying attention to as much as I was looking at how fast it was going that too yes it felt yeah like it was on two times speed um which I don't know why they did that because they always they always have it for three hours and they always go over so mm-hmm. why not just like just have it be at the same pace, have everyone's name come up for the same length of time, and just let that happen? They tried to stuff all the names in there and then speed through some of them while lingering on others, which felt just disrespectful. They always sort of do that, but this one it was mm-hmm. glaringly obvious. So yeah, that was my gripe with it. Why? What was going on with the music? Oh. It was just weirdly toned for an in-memoriam section, is what I remember. I know people didn't like it. I wasn't the big fan of it. It was just a little strange. I guess I got more into it. I just kept seeing all these, because uh, Questlove was doing the music, and I kept seeing all these like really old white men who had passed away last year from the industry, and I kept thinking, well, if, if they were seeing this right now, would they like the music choice? And I don't think they would. Just a bunch of old white men. But it was it was just a little bit strange toned interesting yeah i mean i have no recollection of what the music was so i don't know maybe i'll have to go back and revisit are you saying it wasn't sad enough like it wasn't somber the tone was just strange it was it had a somber undertone i think but there was a little bit more of an upbeat sort of attitude to it is what i remember it was just very oddly mixed i see it's not what i would have picked interesting as for some of the other elements of the ceremony. So like we mentioned before, there wasn't an official host, but Regina King sort of opened the show and they took a more cinematic approach with it. You saw that in the opening mm-hmm. with Regina King and the way that they framed their shots and the staging of it a lot of the time. The camera quality. For sure. So that part of it, I did enjoy. I also liked that they paired off the categories with a specific presenter mm-hmm. a lot of the time and usually they were tied to the the award being given um like Riz Ahmed gave out the award for best sound so that was awesome to see and that happened a couple different times like Brad Pitt was there who announced the award for Yu Jung Yoon so I enjoyed that element of it I also liked the fact that they spent more time honoring the nominees mm-hmm by doing things like talking about what their first movies were, which I didn't really like that part of it a lot. I more so liked the parts where, like what Laura Dern was doing, where she was talking about the significance of the movies that were nominated and the performances that the actors gave Mm -hmm. in them. And then what Bong Joon-ho did, where, I mean, that was a little cinematic masterpiece in itself, (laughs) but asking the directors to talk about how, what their perspective is on directing and so we get to hear from the artist 
their ideas about their craft. And so it gives us better insight into them uh, and more understanding of why these people are the nominees, right? Why they're the people getting recognized as the top of their craft for the year. So I liked that. Didn't like that they didn't play as many clips of the nominated films as they normally do. Mm -hmm. It was the moment I noticed is when they were talking about Pinocchio and they were talking about the color red, like they dedicated that color to him since it's one of passion. I was like, oh, okay. But then I was like, wait, why am I not seeing Pinocchio right now in the color red? So they did do it for some, like the best picture one they did, which by the way, threw me for a loop because I paused the show for a while to go do something else and I came back and I play it and it's on best picture. So I thought that I had missed somehow the best acting Mm -hmm. and best actress awards. And I was like, God dang it. Now I'm not going to know. But then I kept watching. I was like, wait, they switched up the order. Yeah. Very strange. So yeah, that threw me for a whole loop, but they did play clips of the best picture stuff. So I like that. But yeah, it was a weird mix of doing some new things that I thought was interesting instead of focusing on bringing out these comedic presenters Mm -hmm. to do bad banter for five minutes and then playing off people doing the speeches they gave more time to introduce the nominees and then they let them finish their speeches the whole way through so I did like that part of it now before we move on we have our tallies we did last week on the show if you were listening our Oscar predictions and we uploaded them onto our Instagram and so now I have our final tallies of the 23 categories that were presented this year. Usually it's 24, but they combine the sound. Ryan, you got 15, correct? Out of how many? Out of 23. Which is not that bad. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> it is correct. Tragic. Can we read out what I missed? What I missed? Yes. Let's I know see. we talked about it. Like on the show, I mentioned oh, this one will probably win, like for mm-hmm. the Two Distant Strangers. And I was, in my heart, I was like, I'm going to go with Wide Eye because it just sounds cooler. So I did do some things like that. Then other ones like the Chadwick Boseman one, mm-hmm. I fully thought that was actually going to win, but then was surprised. Now you missed eight. And those eight were live action short film. You said Wide Eye, but it was mm-hmm. Two Distant Strangers. Uh, film editing, you said Trial of Chicago 7, but it was Sound of Metal. Cinematography, you said Nomadland, but it was Mank. Should have went my gut. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, documentary short, you said a love song for Latasha, but it was Colette. You got documentary right, which is crazy. I didn't think it would go to my octopus teacher. I'm, I'm impressed with that. Oh, yeah. I, need to, I need to watch that now, yeah. Original song, you said Husevic, but it was, uh, what was it? It was the it was a, one by hear, her. It was a Hear My Voice or Fight For You? fight for you yeah okay um you got all of those right adapted screenplay you said one night in miami but it was the father actress you said gary mulligan but it was francis mcdormand actor you said javik bozeman but it was anthony hopkins everything else you got right okay gotcha and how many did you get correct it was definitely more than me but i got 15 correct. Just Wait, like what? That. Really? Yeah. Wait, what was yours? Because I thought, because I know we both picked, like for cinematography, we both missed that. Actress, mm-hmm. we both missed that. For different reasons, we both missed adapted screenplay. So what was... The difference is you got documentary correct, and I didn't. Oh, I said it was so that time. was just the one difference? There, was, there has to be one more because it balances out. Let me, let me try and find it. 
Um, you said... Did you do production design or something like that? Did you get... Let me look. We both had Mank for production design and Mank 1. Maybe I tallied mine wrong. Maybe I got 14. Yeah, double check that to see. Would you prefer oh, editing? Live, live action short. I got two distant strangers correct. And you guessed wide eyes, which was wrong. Right. So we both got those backwards. So I got live action short right and you didn't. And you got documentary feature right and I didn't. And that's how it bounces out to eight each. Oh, so that wrong. was just the... Gotcha. And then the other ones that we got wrong, we both got wrong. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I we... felt like I had anticipated that with... Because would you put for best song you did put speak now right uh for best song i put speak now yeah right yeah because that was the more realistic mm -hmm. prediction than husevic even though we both wanted that yeah but i don't know i was anticipating that i would miss out because i went with my heart on two of them mm -hmm. um but interesting so it balanced out 15 out of it was 24 you said 23 uh 23 this year yeah 15 out of 23 okay not it's not bad terrible but next year we'll do better. do better we can do better i believe it i think i think i fell too much on the crutch of uh of uh oscar odds the vegas odds i think i fell too much on that in my predictions but maybe next year i just won't look at them and we'll see yeah that'd be a good one we do our predictions before the odds makers and yeah. then we see how they fare compared to ours because they're not always often correct They've been wrong before. Chadwick Boseman, they, they really thought he was going to win. Odds were very strongly in his favor. I think we so, all got surprised by that one. Yeah. Now we have our box office breakdown for last weekend. Coming in first, as predicted, is Mortal Kombat. It opened in 3,000 theaters, and it made $23.3 which is just shy of what I thought it would make. I said 25 to 30. It's just shy of that range, so I was close. Right. You definitely you had the higher range there. I underestimated it. Um, but the big surprise, I think, of this weekend's box office is the number two slot, which came just behind Mortal Kombat. It was Demon Slayer Mugen Train at $21.1 And get this, this is why it's so impressive. Mortal Kombat may be number one on the charts, but Demon Slayer is probably the real winner of this weekend. Because it, compared to the 3,000 theaters Mortal Kombat had, it had just... 1600 theaters so its per theater average was 13,000 compare that to Mortal Kombat's 7.5 thousand per theater Demon Slayer was also rated R just like Mortal Kombat um, so it was it's an anime produced in Japan came over uh, just this weekend and so it's not I mean any kids or a family affair it's older mm -hmm. teens and adults going to see this and going to see Mortal Kombat so it's impressive mm -hmm. that these two films combined, right? Because we didn't even anticipate Demon Slayer being this big. I mean, I didn't even know it was coming out this weekend. I know. So it was certainly impressive because it wasn't, I mean, just the marketing for it, I don't think was too expansive. And also it's already going to a somewhat niche audience of adult anime fans. Oh, I mean, uh, they're diehard Demon Slayer fans. My my roommate went and saw it. Oh, really? Weekend. Yeah. Renan is awesome. Yeah, and we're gonna go see it again this week. I I gotta finish. There's only one season out, and I'm already eight episodes deep, so that I can catch up. We can all go see it. Wow, look at that! So I will let you guys know next week how Demon Slayer is, if you're awesome. curious. So yeah, so 
again, just to speak to the success that Demon Slayer has, how big of a sensation it is, last year, when it was released in Japan, it became the highest grossing movie ever over there, mm-hmm. something like $365 million in U.S. dollars. And thanks to its opening here in the States, it has now crossed $407 million worldwide, which is really impressive. Yeah. So kudos to them. And again, just for the weekend itself, it was a very good one because, again, I was sort of underestimating here for Mortal Kombat, but it exceeded my expectations. And then now we have Demon Slayer, which was almost on par with Mortal Kombat. So combined between just those two films of over 40 million. So compare that to what we had when Godzilla vs. Kong came out. That broke 30 million. So it seems like it's looking even healthier. We're getting more and more optimistic, I think, with our slow return to the theaters. So yeah, definitely exciting things to come. Godzilla vs. Kong didn't fare too well though with its new competition mm. it grossed just 4.2 million but good news for it it has now crossed 400 million worldwide as well sitting at 406 and domestic it's at 86 million so we'll see if it's going to be able to inch to the century mark do you think it'll be able to get there get three digits in domestic um i think it has a chance perhaps it's just it's already at four point two, and it's got what fourteen million to go. It's it's right. already in what weekend is this? Fourth or fifth weekend? Uh, this was its fourth, I believe. Yeah, so it's only going to go down. I don't think it can cross triple digits domestic. I think it'll get close though. Dang, that's true. It will. You do have to keep in mind. I think. In a couple days, it'll be leaving HBO Max, so anyone who wants to see it, and they've been, for whatever reason, they haven't gone out yet, or gone on HBO Max to do it yet, they'll only have the theaters to go to. So maybe that could also help keep it at a good hold. Like, if it keeps mm-hmm. getting 2 million, 3 million, 4 million over these next few weeks, it could inch its way there. So for me, I think it will get there. But it's certainly... Yeah, you would want to see it a little bit higher right now. The fact that it's already at the four mil, like just under mm-hmm. five million mark. Uh, not I just I know great. that I know that I think three week weekends from now is when the Chris Rock Saw movie is coming out, and that's gonna. I think that'll probably knock it off close to the map. So this is gonna drop it even more because it's gonna have even more competition with that and Mortal Kombat. So I don't know how strong Godzilla vs Kong can hold at that point because right. that'll be its seventh weekend, and I was got. Mortal Kombat, Demon Slayer, and the new Saw movie to compete with. I don't think it can hold out. Too much competition, too many weekends out of the box office, not enough draw. I don't think it'll make it to triple digits, but that's okay. You know, it had a good run at 406 million worldwide is very, very good, especially for COVID times. In fourth place, we have nobody still at 1.7 million. Yeah, it's doing it. it. It is. It's hanging on. And in fifth place, in its eighth weekend, we have Raya and the Last Dragon with $1.7 million. It was like $1,000 shy of nobody. So mm-hmm. it's also hanging on there. So that's also partially why I'm a little bit more confident than you in Godzilla versus Kong making it to $100 million domestic. Perhaps. 
I think it can, it'll be barely, it'll barely get across there, but I think it can make it to that finish line. Perhaps. We have some box office predictions now for this upcoming weekend. Of course, Mortal Kombat and Demon Slayer are still going to kill, and we think Godzilla vs. Kong is still going to slide into third, as it is now, just with a slightly lower threshold of how much it's going to make. Um, there's no big entries coming in this weekend. I, I mean, I just checked. Nothing nothing huge. I know Anthony Hopkins has some kind of crime movie coming out, but there's no advertising for it. I've never heard of it before, so it's probably not going to make any money, not much money. So I don't think we're going to have another big another big theater success until probably the either Jason Statham's movie on May 7th, Wrath of Man, or the Chris Rock Saw movie Spiral the weekend right. after. Yeah, it'll be a few quiet weeks, but again, that'll be good for each of these three films to hold on to their audiences for a longer time. Who do you think will come in first, Demon Slayer or Mortal Kombat for this next week? That's a good question. I think Mortal Kombat, Demon Slayer is not opening in any more theaters, right? I'm not sure. I mean, there's always the possibility that it can roll out in a few more, but it's not Mm going to, like, it's not going to out of nowhere at a thousand more theaters it'd just be a couple hundred yeah. i know that demon slayer has a strong fan base that are still probably willing to go see it again or willing to take friends to it like my roommate is so i could see demon slayer coming out on top but i think moral combat also has a very strong fan base and i think there's plenty of people who still want to see it who maybe just couldn't catch it last weekend so i think moral combat will come in around 14 million and then demon slayer will just come in just slightly under that gotcha I'm going to go with, well, yeah, see, it's difficult because it does sort of depend on how many theaters get added to Demon mm-hmm. Slayer. There might be a few that are like, wow, based on the success it got, which is 1600, let mm-hmm. me throw up a couple screens of it. Because um, you're right, they both have dedicated fan bases that would want to come back and then bring more people to it. Mm-hmm. It's just so impressive, though, what Demon Slayer was able to do with the... 1600 theaters it became like it broke a couple records it's now the number one foreign language opening ever wow so that's impressive there and it's second highest anime opening behind a pokemon movie from like the 90s so it's yeah it's just very impressive and i want to say that it'll it'll come in first just so we can have a little interesting time doing the breakdown next week i'm gonna say it will come in first demon slayer will be first just ahead of mortal kombat all right it's a gentleman's wager indeed now we can talk about our main subject for today the second disney plus marvel show falcon and the winter soldier it was show run by malcolm spellman it was written by michael castellan joseph sawyer and Derek kolstad and i'm pretty sure Derek kolstad wrote the first three john wick movies yes he did and yes. yeah michael malcolm spellman was also doing writing duties as well as mm-hmm. doing the show running duties so mm-hmm. just before we start diving into it i want to gauge your initial reaction so if you can narrow it down to a log line or a sentence or two of your reactions okay what would it be all right here's what it would be it would be exactly what i thought it would be (laughs) did not exceed expectations did not 
it met my expectations, did not exceed them, did not do anything below. It's exactly what I thought it was going to be. I see. And yourself? You, you had more measured expectations for this one than you did for WandaVision. Yes, I did. So I do remember that. So it's interesting that it did, in fact, live up to your expectations, but no more, no less. Yes. For me, I would say my initial reactions are it's frustratingly passable. Yes, that's that's also yeah, that makes sense. I that agree is the mood for this mm-hmm. <laughs> this series. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive into the different aspects of this series. We sort of broke it down by the characters here. Um, we can start with Sam Wilson, played by Anthony Mackie, who's certainly the heart of the show. I mean, it's mm-hmm. listed Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but I think Falcon certainly was the centerpiece of it more so than Bucky was. So for you, how did you feel about Sam Wilson's arc in this in this series? I like seeing him struggle with his identity as Falcon and as Captain America and he's having trouble like reconciling the two ideas as being one and he has to sort of go on this journey with Bucky and learn more about himself as a person, learn more about the, what the Falcon is and what the Cap- what Captain America is and what it represents and what super soldiers represent to people and how it's important that the person who is considered the super soldier, he doesn't take the super soldier serum, but as Captain America, he has that sort of representation. Uh, so he has to sort of meet those standards and, and set those standards instead of just letting the world descend into chaos. He has to step up and he realizes that. And so he eventually takes on the mantle of Captain America. Overall, it's an okay arc. It's good. It's, right. It's, it's it's slightly better than possible. <laughs> yeah, that one, I mean, I did like the place where he started, where he's not feeling worthy of the shield and taking up that mantle. And then over time, he does end up deciding that, okay, I am worthy and it is necessary for me to step into this role. So certainly, I mean, he was back where he started in Endgame. Like technically this could have never happened and they could have had a Captain America 4 and we could have believed it based on the ending of Endgame. But mm-hmm. I like that we did have this time to flesh out his character and we get to dive into more of what the past few films that he's been in as a side character meant to him, right? How much Steve Rogers and who he was as Captain America meant. Uh, and then that'll allow us to care about him more mm-hmm. as we go into the future of the MCU. So I like yeah. that. There were some elements I wanted to bring up here. The So we got to spend more time with his family, actually meeting them. Mm-hmm. The actress for Sarah, I did not vibe with. I don't know why, but in the first episode, it just felt, I don't know, it did not feel great. Um, the performance, I don't know. Did that happen for you as well? She was, I know she was the lead actress in D. Reese's first movie, Pariah. And she plays uh, a young lesbian woman struggling with her identity in that. And I didn't think she was that great in that. We watched it in Barry's class. I thought she was just all right in that when she, there were a couple of scenes where she really owns it, but overall I think she was just all right. And in here... I think she's just doing her best here. I mean, it's it's right. not like it's not like a super deep character. There's not a lot of depth to it. There's not a lot of there's no arc to it. She's a very static character. She's very well. That's not true. Let me take that back. 
She has a little bit of a development as a character. A single but, development but of a single development of, to pro boat. To pro boat, yes. <laughs> but it's not a lot. It's not a lot of of change. I think it's more about supporting Anthony Mackie's performance and then later Sebastian Stan when he shows up and she knows she's a supporting character, so I don't think she's really trying to outshine. She's just trying to help Anthony Mackie and elevate what he can do. So I, I think it's all right for me. Gotcha. That was a generous reading of her performance and the character's role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did get better later on, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, in the first episode, I was it was taken out the the whole time whenever she came on screen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that just didn't mesh well with me. And then the boat thing, that little like subplot line, I also had no interest in. Yeah, no, I was just not invested. barely in it. It doesn't develop a lot it's it's not as interesting at all right so yeah that was definitely i was not big on that but a big element of the arc for sam in this series is Mm -hmm. the isaiah bradley storyline yeah so this is part of the effort in this series which i welcome to incorporate more social commentary on our society specifically with race in america so Mm -hmm. isaiah is a big embodiment of that he was a person who was tested on for the super soldier serum back after Cap was disappeared into the ice. And was mm-hmm. it, it was like the end of, it was after World War II, right? That they were testing on him? He fought in Korea. Is he fought in Korea, yes. Is okay. what we know. So yeah, so they, they tested him without his knowledge, which is reminiscent of the Tuskegee, right? I'm saying that right? Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. Uh, experiments where they took black people, black men who were unbeknownst to them used as test subjects, exploited really. Mm -hmm. So that I think was the inspiration for what they did in the comics and then what they adapted here. And we see that he it worked. The serum did work for him, but not for the other people who were tested on. Um, And he ended up using his powers good to help save some of his fellow comrades who were locked up in a POW camp and that defied the orders of his superiors because part of those people who were POWs were the other people who were tested on and they wanted to instead of rescuing them destroy the camp to cover Mm -hmm. up the fact that they were tested with the serum so as payment and thanks for him saving those people he gets imprisoned and then experimented on for 30 years his role as a war hero gets wiped away his entire history and yeah that is the tragic story backstory that isaiah has and we see that he for obviously well-supported reasons doesn't believe in the symbols of the stars and stripes the shield, Captain America, what they stand for, which is supposed to be right America's most cherished ideals of freedom and equality and opportunity, because mm-hmm. he personally has been aggrieved by his government, and he is also well aware of how so many people like him, just because they look like him because they're black, have also been aggrieved in that way. So he's offering the perspective of that stuff 
doesn't actually represent what it represents or what it's supposed to represent. Um, they're never going to let, like he says this to Sam, they're never going to let you be Captain America. They're never going to let you be the face of America and its ideals. And you also shouldn't want to be the face of America and its ideals because of what they, what the country has done to people like them for so long. Um, and so that was a really interesting inclusion that they made, I think, mm-hmm. because it's certainly, I mean, it's truthful to the experience that Sam would have. I mean, if this were real life, this would be something going through his head. And it's certainly a dilemma he's already had because he served in the military, right, in the Middle East mm-hmm. Wars. So yeah. he already made the choice to put himself on the line to defend his country, even in spite of the fact that there's still injustices that are being left unaddressed and things like systemic racism that are being left intact. Um, but even then he chose to go out and serve. Um, and so when it comes to becoming Captain America, he's still faced with this dilemma. Now it's on like a grander scale of do I become the embodiment of what America is supposed to be and what we claim to be, even when throughout so much of our history, we've had an inability to live up to that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, I think, truthful dilemma that someone in that position would have. So I like that they did explore that. How about you? I like the Isaiah Bradley storyline. I like how his beginning is sort of a parallel experience to what Steve Rogers experienced. Like he's experimented on, uh, similar to how Steve Rogers experimented on. And then he goes and he frees people from a POW camp, which is what Steve Rogers did. But instead of being celebrated and considered a war hero like Steve Rogers was, he was imprisoned for 30 years and experimented and kept from his wife, who never saw him and later died and they never saw each other again. And it's just like this horrible experience. And the only difference between himself and Steve Rogers is the color of their skin. They were both war heroes. They were both super soldiers. They were both willing to fight and die for their country. And they were treated very differently by their government. So I think it's really interesting to see that sort of comparison. And you can kind of see Sam going through those thoughts with us as he learns more about Isaiah's life. But he ultimately realizes that, you know, it's not Steve's fault that that happened. It's not Captain America's fault that that happened. And Captain America is a symbol for the government and for the country to do better. And so he ultimately takes up the mantle to be that symbol and to like encourage the government and the GRC to do better. I liked it. I thought it was the stronger part of the story. I also liked who played Isaiah Bradley. Don't know, but he was a great actor. Like the scenes that, oh my gosh, the final scene. Like mm-hmm. again, that was a much more powerful arc than the boat thing. Oh, Carl was getting... Lumley. Carl Lumley. He was great, yeah. What ha- what has he been in? Because I feel like I've seen uh, him much. in something else recently. I mean, he's certainly talented. Hopefully he gets more work because, I mean, he's incredible. So, yeah, the ending that they had to their arc, where again, he's still always in this mindset of, again, of he even says, um, like, I guess when Sam does that speech towards the end in the final episode, Mm-hmm. Where again, he's acknowledging the fact that yes, because he's a black man wearing the stars and stripes, he's going to be hated for it. Um, but in spite of that, he's going to 
be the representation of what we should be, right? He's going to help make us do that in practice instead of just in theory. So I enjoyed that. And then we see mm-hmm. slowly Isaiah is still mostly not of that mindset, but he's recognizing that, okay, what Sam's doing here is going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sam is able to give Isaiah the recognition that he deserves as a war hero by giving him that statue and the plaque in the Smithsonian. Yes. And again, it was a very touching, I mean, that was like the final scene, wasn't it? It was one of the final scenes. Yeah. So that was the nice closure that we had there between those two characters. So yeah, that relationship and that storyline, the themes of it and how it related to Mm -hmm. Sam's overall arc of feeling not worthy of embodying that, um, mantle and being the successor to steve rogers's captain america to becoming someone who is ready to take on that challenge and embody those ideals i think is the most successful part of the series definitely what Mm -hmm. i like the most now bucky his character arc is he's sort of trying to deal with his trauma his ptsd and he's going through therapy of course he's trying to become uh James Buchanan Barnes again rather than the Winter Soldier and he's trying to readapt to civilized life especially being a man at a time and sort of just learn to live life normally learn to be a normal person again and learn to make amends so that he can deal with his PTSD he's mad about Sam giving up the shield there's that great line if he was wrong about you he was wrong about me where he can't really cope with Sam's decision and transfers that sort of decision onto himself as a reflection of his own uh what's the word it's self-image i guess uh what did you what did you think about all that about his his journey with therapy and how his experience has become in the show has become more therapeutic than actually sitting through therapy right i wasn't as (laughs) fond of this arc like i like the idea of it and starting us out with him being haunted by what he's done in the past as Winter Soldier, even though now he's no longer under that spell, essentially. He's still being afflicted by the things that he had done. Mm -hmm. So seeing his shame and his guilt for that and how he's trying to, as you said, not really face it in a healthy way, but he's out there trying to avenge what he did instead of make amends um so he's doing a roundabout way of trying to get therapy in the beginning and then i mean the entire plot he goes on here is sort of trying to dodge even more of that therapy but it does end up being that therapeutic experience for him he's able to slowly over time let go of more of that shame and guilt and towards the end he's able to to fully dedicate himself to Okay, I need to stop hating myself for these things. I can do the work that needs to be done to fix some of the damage I've caused, but I need to let go of essentially this hatred I have for myself for these things that I was a part of but didn't really do. Um, So I like the idea of it, but the execution wasn't my favorite. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's encapsulated in the talk he has with the old man. Like, it was a nice setup they had in the beginning. And then, of course, I mean, it had to be dropped yeah, because of them going to Europe and whatnot. But mm-hmm. they 
tried to bring it back at the end. And I thought, I was like, oh, this can be such an emotional moment. But then it felt, I don't know, it felt kind of flat for me. They didn't even really linger on it too much, that moment where he's trying to make amends with the old man. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I guess I wanted more from it. I like the idea. I like parts of what they were setting up there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think on all fronts the execution worked, which was unfortunate. I think my strongest dislike with this section of the show was how they approached therapy and how they sort of displayed what therapy was. I didn't really like how they wrote the therapist. She was a little bit, I know she was like kind of like tough love and that's kind of what Bucky needed, but he wasn't responding that. He clearly was not responding to that. He was not really putting in the work in the proper way. He was not really addressing his issues in a proper way. And he sort of shuts off because of that. And then you see later he's opening up to Sam instead of the therapist. And he's opening up to him about his problems. And Sam is the one who ultimately convinces him to make those proper amends rather than just the people who turned him into the winter soldier. And I feel like that is not an honest depiction of therapy. I don't know if that's, I think for me, it's really just the way they depicted the the character of the therapist and how they wrote her. Um, I do like that Sam does help him in that way. And of course that bonds them together more in terms of the show. That's great and all. And it is therapeutic to talk about your problems with your friends, which is a great thing to depict, but it's also important, you know, like Bucky can open up to his therapist. Like he can find a way to do that. Right. Yeah. I, given that my mother is a therapist, I also agree that depictions of therapy actually being productive and helpful mm -hmm. is certainly preferred to in this i mean like i said he literally runs away from doing therapy more mm -hmm. than once um which i don't know and then ultimately he's able to work through some of these problems i don't know if it's the greatest message to show yeah just go on a trip to europe with the best friend of your best friend Mm -hmm. shoot up some people break some criminals out of prison all this isn't that i mean obviously that's an exaggerated way of it but yeah i don't know i would have liked more to see mm -hmm. a more direct message of the therapy being helpful mm -hmm. but i get that like his experiences are also therapeutic and that's important to put out there as well as that going out and experiencing things and like reconciling it within your own brain and with your friends and being open and honest. That's all important too. But what they did with the therapist, they made her seem harsh. They made her seem impatient. They made it seem like she was frustrated a lot with what Bucky was doing. And that's not what therapy is. It's not what therapists do. And I feel like that was a very dishonest interpretation of therapy and how it works. And I didn't like that very much. Right. Yeah. Like you said, depicting that support systems are important and so forming that friendship with sam and opening up to him is mm -hmm. a part of his healing they did that well and that's a good thing to depict the actual therapy sessions they had seemed yeah like they framed it as he's not going to be able to overcome this through these sessions alone um i mean which is true it's a part of it it's not all of it but it seems like in the show they really minimized therapies the actual sessions and work with a therapist as a big and crucial part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's a big old tangent, but yeah. overall, again, the idea, I liked it. And I like that we got to see more of this character because he's been in the background for so many of the movies. Like he's always mm -hmm. been like kind of an essential part because he's such a big motivator for Steve Rogers. 
but he's also always been in the background, hardly having lines. So I never really cared too much about him. So I'm glad that this did allow me to see more of him and more of Sebastian Stan's performance. The Wakanda flashback it was Great. in like episode four or five, something like that. That was incredible. That was one of the highlights mm-hmm. of the show, for sure. It was amazing. Moving on now to Zemo. This guy, I have to say, first of all, Dylan, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this statement? If you and Toby Maguire had a child, it would be Zemo. Really? You think so? A hundred percent. I think literally, like I just keep imagining the like the apps where you merge two faces and they become one. <laughs> I just keep picturing you and Toby Maguire merging and out comes Zemo. Oh, well, that's cute. I love his dancing scene. I, I just, I love Zemo. Zemo is probably uh, one of the best parts of the show. And I was sad where they sidelined him a bit after episode four, but he's just incredible performance from Daniel Brule. Uh, they really made him likable, which I didn't think would be possible because he was so unlikable when we first met him in uh, Civil War. And they made him so likable and they made his points realistic and they made so much about him. We learn more about his character. We learn more about his background. He talks more about himself. He has dancing scenes, which are great. <laughs> Everything about it is just fantastic. I love what they did with, with Zemo. So I think A-plus writing for them for that. I just wish they had done more with him in the last two episodes than what they did. Right. I agree with that. The The thing that I liked most about him was, like you said, he was able to give this these realistic counterpoint to Sam and Bucky. So part of his philosophy that I thought was was most interesting is he's just adamantly against super soldiers in any mm-hmm. capacity. Um, and so he's pointing out that Carly, which Sam is throughout the whole thing, which speaks to why he's worthy of being Captain America is because he wants to see the best in people. He wants to de-escalate situations first and find a way around them. Um, like, what was the line about? He's like, oh, my superpower is that I believe we can do better. Um, mm-hmm. So that is epitomized in his grace to Carly, which, yeah, he multiple times he tries to reach out to her. And Zemo had my thoughts expressed in the show. He was like, this chick is too far gone. She's, mm-hmm. I mean, he called her a supremacist and saying someone who's willingly going to take the super soldier serum and do the things that she's done. Like, there is no bringing her back. Um, which I don't think is entirely true. There is always in mm-hmm. some ways. There's always a possibility of redemption. Yeah. But I understand his thought process that she is very far gone. Yes. He's saying that, like, she is so committed to her cause that she's going to continue it all the way through. Right? She's mm-hmm. going to see it through. Um, which I believe was also the case. I was like, there's a very minuscule chance that She's going to all of a sudden give that up. Um, mm-hmm. So that was an interesting thing to see him bring up. And then he was comparing that to these other forces like the Nazis and then the Avengers. Interesting comparison there. Don't think it's a little, don't think it's one-to-one. But his idea is, yeah, people who are the Avengers who are sort of seeing themselves above typical societal constraints, um, like with what happened in Sokovia, he's feeling that there was a lack of accountability for that. So 
the same way that Carly sees herself as a person who's able to do these things because essentially her ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. The Avengers often do the same thing. And while they may be right in a lot of instances, instances there are times where they take like, it too far. Like Sokovia or like in the beginning of uh, Civil War with um, Scarlet Witch when she blows up the building on accident. Right, exactly. So that was an interesting point that I think he brought up. There was also, I don't know, I wish they would have gone more into that. They would have had more debates around that idea. Because, and I had this listed later on, but the Sokovia Accords apparently got dropped since the snap happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Falcon's out there doing contract work now. But it seems like the core issue that was brought up in the Sokovia Accords Mm -hmm. didn't get changed. And the same things are still happening. Like, Bucky and Sam broke Zemo out of prison. Yeah. Or as Bucky would say, well, he broke himself out. Well, but then you went around europe and none of them were like trying to conceal their identity which is crazy they're all just walking around getting spotted left and right and again they're saying well the ends justify the means we're using him to get this other bad person but that's still you breaking someone out of prison who could have there's multiple times where they let him out of sight my man could have just disappeared for good Mm-hmm. And then now they would have let loose the guy who tore apart the Avengers. Yeah. That's not dangerous at all. So things like that were like, I liked him sort of vocalizing those thoughts and keeping that around. But then I feel like they didn't go far enough in challenging mm-hmm. our notions of yes, because Bucky and Sam are nice. They're able to do something like that. But if John Walker did that, like they could have, if we were in an alternate universe and John Walker was the one who broke them out, like that could have been played off as, oh, he's being bad. Or even the serum, right? He's taking the serum as a means to fight off Carly. But that is played off as this is a terrible thing. This is no good, immoral. Mm-hmm. This is bad. Whereas breaking out Zemo, because he does a couple dance numbers, we're like, yes, I'm on board with that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I do like that he was bringing up the contradictions that heroes and avengers have but they didn't go far enough with it i wish they would have continued with it a bit more yeah it's okay though they 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 did their best i had fun with zemo i like how dedicated he was to his cause and how uh, <laughs> like because because when we get to see him and he's holding all the super serums in like his hand that could be potential super soldiers he he like barely hesitates he throws it on the ground and he immediately smashes it because he knows even though he has the power in his hands he doesn't take it because he knows what it can do and what it can do to other people and how it can affect other people. He knows the dangers of it all. So he's really dedicated. And I also agree with him that there should not be super soldiers. So oh. I found I found a lot of me agreeing Anti with him. Anti-super soldier, huh? Steve Rogers is such a rare person to find. <laughs> and what it, you have to really make sure it's a Steve Rogers, otherwise you're going to get a John Walker. So, yeah. I mean, I just... Mm-hmm. You, you got to be careful. And his decision to just destroy it and be safe than sorry i agree so i found myself agreeing a lot with zemo i don't i didn't agree with that he should shoot the guy who knew how to make the super soldier serum but he, he did he did got it done he did the job nobody else can make it now so he's dedicated until somehow 
something else comes up and they do it. Which, by the way, I, this is another side point, but another mm-hmm. gripe I have with this is I just feel that exposition is very sloppy. Oh, of course. It's either that or it's parts of the show aren't as interesting, so I tune out a little bit, but I don't understand how this random guy was able to come up with the super soldier serum. And yeah, I'm not convinced that now that they're, we've destroyed the current serums and we've destroyed him. (laughs) He got killed um, that. We're not going to see someone else come up with the serum before. Like if they came up with it in the forties and then they did it again with Isaiah and then this dude did it again. Like what guarantee do we actually have that? They're not going to come back up. Mm Hmm. So I don't know. I just I just didn't understand how this random scientist out of nowhere was secretly coming up with the serum. Yeah. My dude got snapped, and then he comes back, and he's like, all right, time to finish the job, and then did it. And then the power broker got it and then gives it to these flag smashers. I just don't get it. I don't get the motivations for half this stuff. Yeah. It's it's not the best writing. It's it's a little sloppy. It, some of it doesn't make sense. I think they're really focusing a lot on trying to get a, a clear message across with with Sam's story and trying to incorporate race relations a lot. And so I don't think they're putting a lot of attention into the exposition of the actual plot itself. And it does come through a little bit. Yeah, wonky. Wonky. Um, John Walker, since we brought him up, this is what happens when you don't make sure you got a Steve Rogers. So in the beginning, he was hated already because obviously we don't want this random goofy-looking schmuck to take on the shield and become the new Captain America. Can't replace Steve Rogers, man. Not like that. So he was already hated in the beginning, but initially they did some work to make it seem like he was a worthy successor. Like we see him training a lot. My man won three medals or something like that. So it's clear that he's dedicated to the cause. He's done the training, put in the work. So I was like, okay, I'll see what happens. I can understand why he would want to do this, right? He would want to, he explicitly said, I'm not trying to be a Steve Rogers. I'm just trying to continue being the symbol that he was, that people need in a time like this. But then, we see kind of abruptly, I would say, like there was a, I feel a sudden shift to him just becoming quite aggressive, quite aggravated with anything that slightly went wrong or just anything that isn't going exactly Mm -hmm. to plan, Um, which was having me think, like, shouldn't we have some high level psych evals? I feel like this man should have gone through months of testing and observation and whatnot to make sure that he'd be okay. Um, but I guess not because he clearly was not Zen enough to take on the mantle because when things got going, he ended up murdering a dude with the shield. Yeah. So how did you feel about that? I like the development of it, and I like showing that John Walker is morally ambiguous because that's what he is in the comics. He's not Steve Rogers. He's not perfect. He does make morally ambiguous decisions, and he does go far too sometimes. And I think 
I don't think he was justified, but I think as a character, it made sense for him to do what he did because this is how we've kind of seen him so far. This is how we've seen him be performed. He's very rash. He's very, uh, he clearly has anger issues, control issues. He wants to be Captain America. He's trying his best to be Captain America and people are getting in his way. And now his best buddy was just murdered and he's not thinking clearly. He's just full of anger. Everything is disappointing. Not everything is living up to what he thought it would be. Even with this super soldier serum that he took, he still couldn't save his best friend. And now he's angry. He's upset. And he goes and kills him. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like the development for John Walker. I thought the setup was a little lazy where the guy talks about how he looked up to Captain America at one point, And then Captain America is who kills him. I don't know. I felt like those just too gimmicky to um, Chekhov's gun kind of set up too very straightforward, you know, but I like the development in terms of that for John Walker's character. Right. Yeah. Like the idea of it, I enjoy. I just felt that the initial switch from him initially being framed right when he's going out to the high school football field and he's getting celebrated. I mean, he seemed like a genuinely okay guy there. And it mm-hmm. felt like there was this abrupt switch to him now being aggressive. Because he, when he was the first fight that he and Battlestar had with uh, alongside Bucky and Sam, he was talking to him. He's like, guys, I understand this is weird and whatnot, but I just want to work with you guys to catch the Flag Smashers. Like, we can do this together. Yeah. And Sam and Bucky were like, no. And I thought that was, they had an irrational dislike and distrust of him at that point. Which I understand. Because, like, he's holding the shield. It was just petty, though. I mean... Well, of course it's petty. It makes sense, but it's not... Like, it was... Irrational was just emotionally charged. They didn't like him because, oh, he's carrying Cap Shield. Um, Mm -hmm. When the mature thing to do, I think, would have been to, okay, let's work with these guys to to pursue a common goal that we have. Um, So I felt like in the beginning there was too much hostility they were giving to... Uh, John Walker when he was still being presented as okay. Then I felt there's an abrupt shift, abrupt shift to him being like an overly aggressive, like I don't know, just insecure with himself, not being able to fight properly, which of course builds up to him taking the serum. So I like that. I like the descent he had once we mm-hmm. were established we were doing that. I just felt it was an abrupt change from where we initially set him up. And then I also felt like the ending was another sort of abrupt 180 yeah. where they tried to give him this mini redemption. And I feel, I mean, I don't know, good for him that he chose mm-hmm. to save the van. But if you have already told me, look, the serum makes bad people worse, good people great. If you're already presenting him now as this guy that is the bad to worse, um, He's aggressive, he's hot-headed, so he's going to do these things based on revenge at times. Mm-hmm. Then having him save the van, stand aside watching Sam give his speech and doing a nod to him later on, like those things after the absolute meltdown or tantrum he was having in the court, which I also mm-hmm. thought, like, him saying, you guys made me, like, you made me this way, like, I was built to be a soldier, mm-hmm. a killing machine in a way. Um, like, I also like that part, but I don't think they went far enough with it. And then this yeah. ending, where now he's just 
the U.S. agent, which for who, by the way, the CIA for like who is Val supposed to Julie be? Julie Dreyfus. Yeah, who is that? Who is he in the comics? She works with Shield, but Shield doesn't exist anymore. So the theory is she's gonna maybe it'll be like the Thunderbolts, which is in the comics. So it could be that group of people, which is like Zemo, U.S. agent, uh, some other people, a ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. So they could be doing that. They could be doing some other things. I have no idea. I know uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus is supposed to appear in Black Widow. That was what her original entrance was supposed to be, but it got pushed back too far. So this is her entrance into the MCU. On the topic of his redemption, I think it was I agree with you that it was abrupt, but I agree with the decision to give him a, a redemption before the show ends. Because in the comics, the U.S. agent is a good guy. You know, at some points, he's in the Avengers. Like, he is a hero. He's very, uh, very oddly a villain. Like, sometimes he is, but not very often. And so to give him that redemption, it kind of does leave me with the feeling that he is morally ambiguous. He's like the morally ambiguous Captain America. He doesn't always make the right decisions. He tries to, like, not try to help the most people, but try to come out with the best situation. He is a good soldier. He is a super soldier now. Um, I just do think that it has amplified what was within him, which is a soldier. And that's why he's the U.S. agent now. I thought it was really stupid <laughs> when when he puts on his U.S. agent for the outfit for the first time. It's the same thing, but black, which is comic accurate. But but Julie Lee Dreyfus is like, right now, we don't need a Captain America. We need a U.S. agent because they just... They're trying to put in the name, and they did it in such a weird way, and it just doesn't work. And Julie Louis-Dreyfus is a great actress, and she's trying her best to make that exposition work, but it is so poorly written, and I hate it. And they're, they're trying. They're trying, I guess. Got right. That was definitely clunky, um, but again, I'll forgive it. You have this issue with when they give the comic book names to people. Like You disliked when they did Scarlet Witch too, didn't you? I did. It's just the way in which they do it. Like... Like, when they introduce Captain America, you know, he is a propaganda machine, and he's like, hi there, I'm Captain America, and it's funny, like, in the comics. When it's Iron Man, he's like, I am Iron Man, and it's cool. Uh, or, like, Spider-Man says, I am Spider-Man. Like, they give themselves their own names. I guess it's just certain names. Like, when she says, you are the Scarlet Witch, they're just throwing that in there because it's the comic name, and you know it's because it's the comic name, you know? And especially U.S. Agent was even worse. It's just clunky, very <laughs> clunky. Right. Yeah, I'm more willing to forgive stuff like that. But yeah, John Walker, again, the idea of him in most of his arc, I thought was good. White Russell's a good actor, so... He's a great actor. I enjoyed a lot of that stuff. It was just the shifts that they tried to do of him to the bad guy and then to the... Mm -hmm. Too quick. Quote, too good too, guy. Yeah, too radical right. of a change. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Now for... The Flag Smashers and Carly, the mm -hmm. villains. What did you think about these people? Uh, I'm a biggest fan. Me neither. I again, it's a good idea. Like the concept of having this big crisis, refugee crisis after the mm -hmm. return. Cool is so interesting because that's. I mean, that's like actually yeah. what would happen. It'd be this massive ordeal. And so seeing how they would deal with this is really exciting to see, but they didn't go far enough again, which is frustrating because this is 
a long format. It's a series. They had the six episodes. So they could have gone into more of this stuff. Um, but I think, I don't know, they just didn't want to bring too much of like this political side into it. But I think it would have been interesting world building to to introduce. Because mm-hmm. they talk about the GRC, the Global Repatriation Council, right? Which I don't know what exactly, like, is that supposed to be a replacement for the UN? Is it an offshoot? Like, who I think, are they? What is their authority? So what, what, what I sort of understand is that when half the population disappeared, borders sort of collapsed or were moved around. And so it was really kind of like a one world kind of place. And then now that people have come back, society has decided now that everyone's back, half the people are back and half the people don't understand why we should recreate these borders and re sort of distribute all the people who are now who didn't get blipped, all those people who were still there for five years, who are now in different countries, like like move have moved around their, their whole things that they want to take all those people and they want to put them back in their home countries from where they were from before the blip. So that the people who did get blipped can have their homes again and that they aren't displaced or anything. And that's what, I'm, so I'm assuming there's some kind of like because it's a council. So I'm assuming some kind of branch of like the UN kind of or like the UN of the Marvel Universe, whatever that is. So that's kind of the whole point of the flag smashes. Is they're like, you know, we didn't get blipped, and now we're sort of being punished for that, and we're getting kicked out. And now we're refugees in our own country. You know, like it's rough. Like we've been living here for five years, and now you're kicking us out just because people came back. This like one world, one people is a good idea. I agree. I think the biggest problem I have is, like you talked about earlier, Sam is is diehard committed to bringing her back to the good side. But it's just every episode, I I get more and more convinced that you just can't do it. She becomes more and more dedicated. And Sam becomes more and more persistent to keep trying, even at the very end when she's got a gun pointed to him. He's still trying and trying and trying. And I guess it's supposed to be in the character of Captain America. But... Even Steve Rogers had his limits, man. Like, right. she's been murdering people, and she's been doing so many horrible things. And you really could have just knocked her out, put her in a cell, and moved on, and saved lives, potentially. Like, there is a point where, you know, maybe John Walker had a point, you know. Right. He took it too far, of course, but how he can't, sometimes you just can't save everyone. Like, I think everybody has an option for redemption, but when you become so indoctrinated in your own ideas, it's so hard to pull you out of that, you know? Right. I agree. Like, the idea of just take her out of the mm-hmm. equation right now. Like, not, like, kill her, but stop like, her yeah. ability to keep doing harm to other people. Then you can try to talk her out of this and be like, okay, we can work towards a more peaceable solution. Mm-hmm. That would be fine. But when, again, she has a gun, she just shot, for all you know, she just shot your ally, Sharon Carter, and is now pointing a gun at you. I think it's time to like stop trying to dog her down for this final time and put her out of a position of power to keep doing that. So mm-hmm. that yeah was my also issue with um, Sam's dedication. Again, I like it shows that he has such heart as a character, but at a certain point... You gotta have the strength to make the tough calls, you know? Yeah, you do gotta make that call. You're saving lives here. So, yeah, that was interesting. And again, they tried to frame Carly and the Flag Smashers as this 
their methods are bad, but their cause is good, which I can agree with. I don't, and this is, again, poor world building because they don't really explain. I just don't believe that if the snap happened, that borders would just disappear. I don't think that would realistically happen. I also agree, yeah. So I don't think that's what happened. But I do think, and this is probably what would make sense, which is why it's interesting to think about like how these would actually play out, these scenarios. Countries like the USA would start accepting in a bunch more migrants in order to fill mm-hmm. in the previous jobs to ensure that the yeah. economy can be sustained and industry supported. So that, I think, is probably what happened, right? And, and so now mm-hmm. they have these new people. So they had all these homes lying around, so the migrants are housed there. Um, and then, yeah, now they're doing these jobs. They've essentially become a part of the country. And then after five years, once everyone comes back, all of a sudden the houses that they were living in and were supporting with the jobs they were in um, now sort of disappear to them, right? Because everyone else comes back and they're trying to fill back up their houses and get their jobs back. So it's an interesting, again, concept Mm because that seems like what would happen. And then the fallout from it would certainly be this massive crisis. And there would certainly be reason to sympathize with people like Mm -hmm. Carly who are saying, yes, we just spent five years in this country working to support the economy, right? To keep it Mm -hmm. alive paying for the house that we lived in um right yes it was empty when we got there but now we've been supporting ourselves in it for the past five years Mm -hmm. and because everyone's coming back now we get kicked aside that doesn't Mm -hmm. seem fair it's of course also not fair to the people that just got blipped and wiped out of existence to come back and now they don't have the means to support themselves with Mm -hmm. their job or to live in their own homes um, and have all the property they used to have. So it's a really tough scenario. It's like a catch-22. Mm-hmm. So seeing how the world would deal with that and how people like Carly and the Flag Smashers would be so insistent on saying, hey, you can't just brush us to the side um, and mistreat us, it certainly a sympathetic cause that they have. Mm -hmm. But I think their emphasis to try to be so like through Sam and through other ways to really try to signpost. Yes. These are people who have a good cause, but they're just doing bad methods. Mm -hmm. Like they kept trying to emphasize that in a way that each time made me less sympathetic to what they're doing. Um, Cause I just, believe that i mean if you're going to because they are terrorists sam at one point was like what do you think they'd call you who's relocating Mm -hmm. them um but they're i mean that's fair but the flag smashers certainly are terrorists they're killing innocent people in order to pursue a political end goal Mm -hmm. so that is i think textbook definition of terrorism um and so having them be the central villains and try to make them sympathetic in some ways, but still, like, have Carly be so, as you said, just indoctrinated with her own 
ideas and she's she understands what she's doing and she's willing to mm-hmm. do it she said she'd kill those people again um so i was never fully on board with her as a character because of the methods she chose to use and i was never fully on board with the overall like the central conflict of having them push against the grc because again i didn't know the extent of who the grc is what exactly they're doing who elected or appointed them what Mm. really was like you and i don't know if all the flags disappear or disappeared all the orders disappeared um yeah or if it was just the scenario i described of migrants coming to certain countries Mm -hmm. um like i don't know enough of the world to to truly care about like what's going on like i also don't even understand half the time she was trying to kill grc people like she was gonna go blow up the grc and then she actually kidnapped them and then was gonna use them as leverage but then kill them mm-hmm. how did any of that support what you're doing i don't know because they were i mean they were in the room you know they were in the room where it happens <laughs> and they they That's twice last week you said that right and this week too. yeah <laughs> they they could have killed the grc politicians to send a message but they were like no this is we had to do a diversion we had to let them escape and then we're going to kidnap them and use them as leverage and then we're going to kill them they were in the room <laughs> yeah it makes do no you know sense. how easily it would have been to just kill them and then leave like falcon had or cat america wasn't there yet lucky wasn't there yet sharon wasn't there yet barely anybody was there yet and they're super soldiers they could have killed them very quickly and just sent their message and then left right i I also just part of and this is maybe just me not understanding terrorist tactics but killing them to send a message what does that do if they're supposed to be the people apparently that are authorized to deal with the situation Mm. and they're overseeing the relocation and whatnot what does killing them do? They're just going to be replaced, and now yeah. they're going to be even more angry at you, the flag smashers. So they're going to be more willing to. Now they have right this rhetoric we know about. Oh, they're murderers. They're coming to kill you, and all this, this, and that. Um, yeah. So now you've given them reasons to support what they want to do, which is relocate you and deport you. So it just doesn't make sense half the time what they're doing. And then also the super soldier serums. Like, what were they doing? They had, like, 11. They're going to go beef up a couple other people, and then what would that do? Now they have yeah. just more might to fight other people? And then I don't know if they were going to try and manufacture more and distribute it to their members, or if they wanted everybody to be super soldiers or something, but what a waste of what they could have done with it, because it just ended up getting smashed by Zima. Like, that's what happens when you sit on it and not do anything, you know? Right. They're, they have their priorities in, in the wrong order, if you ask me as a terrorist organization yes so yeah that was odd and then another element i wanted to bring up was sam's speech in the final episode which in ways hit for me in other ways very much missed i already sort of spoke like the part of it where he was talking about him being a black man uh, wearing the stars and stripes Mm -hmm. i like that part but he said that in response to (laughs) he so he said to the senator he's like you know what man do better and the yeah. senator said, 
you don't understand the complexity of this massive international crisis, the likes of which we have never seen before. And Sam said, Do don't I understand? I'm a black man with the stars and stripes. And I was like, okay, fair. Great point. But that didn't refute yeah. what he said. You just said, he said, you don't know this. And then you said, well, I know this. But those weren't the same things. So no. I don't know what like message that was being there. He was saying, right, like we need to find a way to do this um, more humanely. We need to find a way to support the different people because, again, it's a catch-22. It's unfair for everyone to experience this and go through this. So we need to find a way that's best for everyone, which is great. But then, I don't know, just the way that he sort of shot down like, I'd imagine, I don't know, I mean, just because they're politicians doesn't immediately make them mm-hmm. bad people. I hope, again, we don't know because we don't know what the GRC is or anything like this, but I'm hoping that those people are trying to right, do right by everyone and that they want to find the best possible solution and that it is difficult. Like, I can't even imagine yeah. a global crisis like that trying to deal with it. Um, and some parts of Sam's speech felt like it was simplifying things to a degree that's just naive and unrealistic yes and so those parts of it i was like that like you can't just say do better and then walk away (laughs) right which again i I like the part where he said where he makes the argument you know like the easy answer is not the right answer like that's a good point to make but you're not the senator's right you don't understand the complexities of this specific situation that they're trying to deal with right now and of course the way they're going about is incorrect it is the easy solution and you are correct in pointing that out but just saying do better and like we have to find a different way i mean you you genuinely don't understand how incredible like i would like to know more information about how incredibly complicated the situation is about what the grc is facing with the specific situation it's it's impossibly complicated to deal with right and again, I just, yeah, the nuance, we don't know. Here's the thing. Maybe it's because the Flag Smashers are like a European-based thing. So I don't mm. know. Maybe the European Union, they got rid of all their borders, which would make sense yeah. since they're already closely tied anyway. Mm. Um, so maybe that was what they're talking about. And so the Flag Smashers are particularly upset about the reinstatement of the borders in Europe. I just wish they had gotten I don't know. I just, out. yeah. It just seems strange for Sam to then be like, guys, you can knock over a forest with an email, which is a weird line. I mean, I guess that's true, but an interesting, um, I don't know, way to say that you guys have power. And then he says things like, you don't want to see Carly 2.0, like you're not stopping to ask why is this person doing this, which I think to an extent is is a good thing right well no mm-hmm. i actually prefer him saying things like are you considering these options just amongst yourselves or are you bringing in people who will be affected by it to help inform mm-hmm. your decisions that i like i'm all for yeah. more representative democracy actually considering the outcomes of policy choices so that i liked the part where he was mentioning you're not asking why carly is doing what they're doing at a certain extent, again, she was a full-on terrorist. Willingly yes. so. She would call herself... Killing that. a lot of innocent people. Right. A freedom fighter, can, depending on who you're talking about. But also, every terrorist ever, in their mind, is saying, I'm right. I'm pushing back against the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and at a certain extent asking why they're doing that can be helpful but also it just doesn't seem wise for him to be like guys she died this lady died because you didn't do this this and that she made that choice she decided to he was very aggressively on her side yes which i think especially at the end again i think asking again like the cause that she had wasn't terrible but then framing like going to them arguing this is a good side just see how important it is based on this person who died for her cause and was willing to kill other innocent people like i don't think we should talk about the merits of a cause based on how far people are willing to go and how many people they're willing to kill in order to bring Mm -hmm. about that cause i think it would have been better if they framed it like like she doesn't kill anybody throughout the show but it seems like she's getting to the point where she would be willing to kill someone like her her ideas are getting more and more uh extremist and so like that's why that that's why sam maybe he's trying to pull her back like don't go that far because like i feel like once she kills us as people sam should be like she okay. killed lamar yeah she, she killed lamar whacked him she, in the chest. she she blew up the gmc the grc building with innocent people who were just trying to do their job and she just blew them up and it's like there was even like debate amongst her like cohorts and they were like, is this right? Like, are we doing the right thing? And she was like, yes. And they were like, okay. And then they moved on from it. They never brought it up again. Right. Even that you just, there yeah. were people remember when she was about to do the slogan and be like one people. Yeah. One world. Or they were hesitating. Um, and then the other people were reluctant to say it. And then she had to say mm-hmm. it again and sort of evil eye them into saying it yeah. like that would have been, better for sam to bring up like talk about the other people who again are willing to be Mm -hmm. advocates for this cause but they're they're the ones who are not on board with these legitimate terrorist Mm -hmm. tactics of kidnapping or trying to kill officials or blow up buildings things like that it's just too much and then to say you're not even asking why she did this i mean that's just a strange thing to say yeah it does seem odd so Again, partially I can respect how sympathetic Sam is and how willing to understand people he is, but... There's an extent, you know? Yeah, I feel like for me there's a limit. And in that speech, some of it I was on board Mm -hmm. with and I was rooting for it. Then other parts I was partially based on my own ideas and then also my lack of understanding of the true situation of the GRC and what's going on. I was like, I can't think that this is him like triumphantly saving the day with his words i want there to be like a tucker carlson of the mcu like responding to that speech did you just side with the terrorist (laughs) we're just asking questions folks we're just we're just or do the bench bringing up things that that you don't (laughs) can you do side with the terrorist is that what he's trying to make the argument for these are what these people want to do they want to side with the terrorists more than you, the Americans, who put your hard work out there, blah, blah, blah. Something so stupid like that, which, honestly, I don't want to know. So but I'm pretty sure Ben Shapiro will do a video on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and he will say something exactly like that. That'd be funny. He's like, why is Captain America siding with now, the terrorists? A leftist you... extremist <laughs> who wants a globalist world. <laughs> it's just terrible. I hate it. Tearing down borders? They want to let in the migrants? To this country <laughs> against all hope and odds this just shows exactly what the democrats want to do they care more about the refugees the migrants 
than the people who have lived here their whole lives. Despite whether they were here for the last five years or not. Unacceptable. Entirely illogical. Now for okay. my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Sharon Carter. Did you like that she was the power broker or not? Okay. No. Well, I thought it was kind of inevitable <laughs> for that to happen, but I also didn't part of that storyline of the power broker, I didn't care for. Here's something yeah. I do want to bring up though. Sharon Carter. Before we even got the power broker, and I kinda wish they didn't have her be the power broker. Because no, now there's legitimate reason to dislike her and stuff. But mm-hmm. I wanted to just hate her on the merits of her being so such a bad attitude about like Sam and Bucky when they're coming around and she's like, Ugh, I can't even return to my country. I can't get that pardon. Based okay, on the she... things that she chose to do in Civil War, where she Yeah. Only because she had attraction to Steve Rogers, which number one, why you know that that man was in love with your great aunt or whatever it is. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You're trying to get with him, and you chose on like multiple occasions because I watched Civil War um, before the Zemo episode. I was like, I gotta remember what the heck this man was all about. So I watched Civil War, and throughout it, I just despised Sharon Carter because she just folded on her principles, or at least her job duties right her responsibilities mm-hmm. only to help out a dude because she thought he was good looking like what are you doing man gave the shield over to him gave the falcon wings over and was like all right guess i gotta go into hiding and now mm-hmm. she's all sour about that that was literally something you chose to do you did it in, these are your in, consequences in defense of sharon carter i would like to point out that i, I think the implication no defense <laughs> In the imp- the implication from the show is that she didn't get blipped, and that she's been in Magipore this whole time. And in defense of Sharon Carter, Steve Rogers also did not get blipped. And it was five years, and he didn't do anything. He was... What? Was she? There's a... Yeah. I thought she yeah. was, wasn't she? No, the, well, how would she become the power broker if she got blipped right after... Like, That's I, what I, I'm saying. I, an impressive I'm, ascension to the power broker status. Fairly, fairly certain that she did not get blipped is the implication. Okay. But I mean, here's the point though. So, what's your argument though? She's sour that Steve Rogers didn't come help her out. It's just those five years where Steve Rogers is no longer on the run because he's just living in America. He's a citizen again, and he's just mourning. And that's five years where he just didn't think to find her or do anything. <laughs> I will make that defense for her. Okay. I will say it's stupid that she made that choice in Civil War and that she is mad at them because of the repercussions of it. And I think it is stupid that she's the power broker because, I don't know, it just seems like lazy writing to be like, oh, well, she's not in America, so she's the bad guy now. Is she a scroll? That... What is that? Is that a theory that she's a scroll? It could be. I don't know. It just seems like a weird shift to have. Like she gets so mad, which again mm-hmm. calls into question: Was she ever even really? I mean, she was an agent, or I, I, was it Shield or something else? She back worked in? for Shield, yeah. and then she worked for the CIA after Shield was disbanded. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Whatever. But anyway, her duty is to right serve America, the American people, and then she goes after being kicked out because of something she chose to do because she mm-hmm. wanted to get with her great aunts, the love of her life, um, is out on the run. And so she decides, you know what? I'm going to 
manufactures super soldier serums so that I can give to terrorists so that they can hurt other people. And Very extreme change. Yeah. And then I'm going to aggressively try to get Bucky and Sam to get me a pardon so that I can go back to America. Okay, but she obviously... So I can then betray them even more. She obviously, very obviously, could very obviously go back to America because she does it in the last episode. She goes back and there's no repercussions. She entered that country and made it all the way to New York City and nothing happened to her. And then, and then she got pardoned. And then she was given back her status as an agent. Yeah, so literally a CIA agent. And how do she could have? How do Sam and Bucky not question that at all? They just see her there, and she's like, "Well, thank God you you got over that that whole pardon business on your own that that you've been griping about for the last three episodes. <laughs> thank God weird. you made it back in time." Right. Yeah, that was weird because Fal he called in the favor. Right. Sam was like, "Yo, Bucky, I got someone who's about to reach out to you," and then it was Sharon, right? That tapped on. Bucky I have no like, idea. Hey, I can't here. remember now. I think it was. But yeah, you're right. That entirely calls into question what she's been doing. And again, she has the skill set to go into hiding and just go to America. Um, mm-hmm. But now she's choosing to be this scumbag villain. And she's complaining what? that she hasn't talked to her family in years and all that stuff. And I'm like, you're funding terrorists, kind of. <laughs> Is family your top priority right now? Yeah, true. And again, I just like to point out. I mean, it may be, but yeah, Captain America and Falcon, when they all had Civil War, they bad title. They broke the people out of the Avengers, but then they went on the run. They accepted the consequences, and then when they tried to fight a literal god that was destroying the universe, they were like, "Okay, mm-hmm. they did their part. Maybe they were chill. They had reasons for what they were doing. Let's allow them to." be pardoned and just be part of putting the world back together mm-hmm. Sharon, who was not a part of the fight against thanos either time was probably over there i mean doing the beginnings of her power broker stuff mm-hmm. right during that time she just yeah. i mean what has she done to to earn that to pardon? Earn pardon she did she was aiding and abetting terrorists yeah and like what like there surely had to been other ways to and also hello you were gone seven years i don't know what exactly the uh sentence would be for giving the shield and the falcon wings over to those people mm-hmm. but i feel like you could have just done some time in the brig and then got back out by now it was seven yeah. years couldn't have been that long and who knows maybe they would have once but the then she wouldn't apart. get her agent title back she, in this case, she spent seven years in Magipore instead and is now an agent again. Okay, but then what did – well, why is she getting the agent thing back now? If they still – she still did what she did, and they still understood that. So why now? Are they recognizing that she came in and helped fight against the Flag Smashers? I just feel like I'm confused about the power that she has as the power broker because in the, in the episode where they introduce her – they set up the power broker to be like a super powerful person in Magipore and in the world in general and like a big time weapons and art dealer and someone that's like incredibly threatening. Right. So why does she really need U.S. secrets and U.S. weapon developments? Isn't she already powerful enough? 
Like, why should she spend, as this powerful power broker, why would she spend her incredibly valuable time pretending to be a double agent? You think you would just hire somebody to be a double agent? (laughs) You think that she would have done that already? If you were really this powerful, you would have someone working for the United States government. After six months of of the blip being done, because this is like six months later, you'd think that you would have someone in there already by now. Like, hey, go in there. I'll pay you. You give me these secrets. Right. Why does she have to be the one to do it? Yeah. It does call... It does seem very stupid. <laughs> it yes. just didn't... And I remember thinking when they were talking about the power broker and they didn't show them that episode. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's going to be a reveal. I was like, okay, it's going to be Sharon Carter. Yeah. And I was like, well, show. that seems so stupid because none of this would make sense it would just be so yeah i had the same character and then yeah but then i was like it'll probably happen though because what else i mean what else would it be so it was an underwhelming reveal and again i disliked it just because it it now gives us a reason to actually dislike sharon carter Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to dislike her for being so yeah being so caught up and just being upset about not being pardoned when again Mm -hmm. You did. Now, what I know you, did. you kissed Steve for no reason. I'm just mad him. about that. <laughs> now I know there's going to be a Falcon the Winter Soldier season two, and it's I think it's implied that Sharon Carter as the power broker is going to be the antagonist. They've also announced a Captain America four, which is obviously going to be something with Sam as Captain America. Who knows what the villain is? Who knows what the story is? They also have a Chris Evans project in the process. Correct something with Chris Evans that they have no information to give at this time. Interesting. And that's all the Captain America related things coming out. What did you think of the end title Captain America and the Winter Soldier? I thought it should have been Captain America and the White Wolf. I agree. There's already a Captain America and the Winter Soldier. They've already made that movie and he's not the Winter Soldier anymore. You know, that's the whole point of the show is that he's not the Winter Soldier. I agree. It seemed really odd for them to acknowledge the change that sam went through in upgrading from falcon to captain america and then not acknowledge that uh bucky has laid the winter soldier to rest or at least as much as he can at this point and so he should be also recognized for his character arc the progress he made with a name change to the white wolf which they already mentioned in the series so i don't know why they didn't do that seemed like a really big to miss opportunity but Mm -hmm tragic so one final point well i guess two final points so the action did you think that that was good in this since it was certainly advertised as an action adventure film it's it's, out into six episodes from what i saw in the trailer it's exactly what i thought it would be it's marvel action shaky camera (laughs) it has good moments um there's nothing super exceptional i think about it i think it was mediocre at best like i think the the action the actual fight scenes in captain america the winter soldier are like top tier For like sure. the elevator stuff and just everything around that all the stunt teamwork that they do in there and that's to diminish the stunt teamwork that they did on the show because i know it was a lot of effort and a lot of work but the way it was shot i felt like it was a little disappointing i felt like it was a little simple simplified very much like throw a punch lock a punch throw another punch there wasn't a lot of super dynamic stuff to it. Sam with the shield, though, at the end was pretty cool. 
like the way he uses it while also flying as Falcon. I like that. I thought that was cool. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I sort of had the same opinions as you. It wasn't too astonishing for me. A lot of the actions did rely on that shaky cam and quick editing where you don't mm-hmm. really understand what is going on, but you're supposed to be pumped up because, oh, it's fast and quick and crazy. So in some parts, I was underwhelmed by that. But the scene where Captain America, our new Cap, flies in to the building and we get to see that suit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so Yeah, cool. I think that great suit payoff. looks so sexy. It is a great outfit. It is, it is fantastic. I love it. I love everything about it. I love the way it's structured. I love it. Yeah, and it's comic book accurate well as well. Mm-hmm. So whoever drew that first costume in the comics, kudos to you. And mm-hmm. whoever were the costume designers who made it look that good in live action, mm-hmm. props to you. It was so amazing. All right, for our rating. Out of five shields, what will you give it, Dylan? Three and a half. Three and a half shields. Really? So that's the yeah. same score you gave WandaVision? Yes. Gotcha. I'm going to go three out of five shields. Mm. I don't think it wasn't as versatile as WandaVision. And I think Wanda had a stronger arc in that. I was more invested in that arc. I think it'll probably have bigger payoffs to the rest of the MCU as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, and again, just the core concept of WandaVision, I just loved it um, a bit more than this one. Still, though, as I said, frustratingly passable. There's so much in these episodes that just aren't good, but then they have these highlights, like Sam flying in as Captain Mm -hmm. America, and then elements of sam and bucky's relationship their little bromance that they had yeah like when they were working on the boat because of the boat i was not too fond of it Mm -hmm. but i did like them being together and being chill with each other now so Mm, i like seeing bucky flirt with his sister right i thought that was hilarious um so yeah i there are just these moments that marvel was able to scatter throughout their stuff that elevates it to the point where you can't dislike it too much. Um, and it outweighs a lot of the mediocre stuff that is sprinkled throughout the rest of it. So a three out of five, I think is a nice fair rating for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the second of the Marvel shows that are on Disney Plus. And we will be looking forward to Captain America 4. Are you going to watch Loki, the next Disney Plus show? I mean, probably. This seems like it'll okay. be... I mean, it's nice to talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said before, WandaVision was the one I was really excited about. Yeah. And each other one, like there are a lot of really intense Loki fans out there. I have never mm-hmm. been one of them. No, um, me either. So I'm not crazy interested in it, but I'm sure it'll be just like this where there's generally not great writing and convoluted storyline and it doesn't truly connect to the rest of the MCU, but... Mm-hmm. There'll be enough interesting moments and little hints that they give and cameos and things that'll make it worth watching. So probably gonna end up watching it. But yeah. I will say though, I am a diehard Owen Wilson fan. So I'll be tuning <laughs> in for that and that exclusively. I do love Tom Hiddleston though. He's great. Wow. 
That's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Now be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be doing something very, very special. For the first time ever, we're going to do our draft pick for the rest of the movies of the 2021 year. We're going to create a list of 25 films, and we're each going to get an opportunity to pick five. And whoever movies at the end of the year, whoever's five movies make the most money is declared the winner, sort of like a real draft. We're also going to be listing our top three most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. So tune in for that. Have a great rest of your day.